All right, so we are in week five of our series that we're calling The Moral of the Story. We've been covering different parables of Jesus, and with the parables, basically what Jesus was doing was trying to explain abstract spiritual things by talking about normal, everyday things, helping us to be able to make parallels into difficult things to understand by understanding simple, everyday things. So the parable of the workers in the vineyard or the 11th hour parable. Something very interesting happened to me as uh, we were studying through this parable, and that is that the context actually changes the meaning of the parable quite dramatically compared to what I anticipated we would be talking about. So we're going to talk about the context, and then we'll also talk about the common interpretation of the parable, which I think is a very, very important, very true representation of the heart of God and a very important important spiritual truth. Because, you know, you can read one section of Scripture and get different spiritual truths from it. You know, if you've read the same passage over and over and over, and then all of a sudden, the 157th time you read it, you're like, oh, and you get a new thing. Well, that doesn't mean the other things you got weren't true. It's just that there's another thing in there that you didn't see. And that's something very interesting. But I think we're oftentimes missing the primary meaning of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let's talk about the context. The context of the this parable is it's just immediately after the interaction with the rich young man or the rich young ruler. It's an individual who comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, follow the commandments. And he said, great, because that's what I've been doing ever since I was a boy. That's fantastic. And Jesus sees his heart. And so he says, okay, why don't you sell everything you've got? Give that to the poor, and then you can come with me. Be one of my disciples, and you can walk with me. And the guy has a bunch of stuff. So he looks at his bank account and his stuff, and he looks at going with Jesus, and he says, No, I'm not going with you. And he goes home sad to spend his time with his stuff. And so, of course, that's a tragic, tragic thing where this individual thought the things of this world were much more important than the things of God. And he had the opportunity to walk with Jesus in his earthly ministry, to be part of the birth of the New Testament church. He could have been there, but he missed it because he wanted to keep his stuff. And so Jesus and the disciples are talking about this, and Jesus says, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, and the disciples are like, wow, who can be saved then? Because if, if you're at rock bottom, you got nothing to lose, it's a good time to turn to Jesus, because you got nothing to lose. But let me tell you, if you've got everything to lose, if everything is working perfectly, that's also a great time to turn to Jesus, because you're not going to actually miss out. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But Jesus is saying it's hard for the rich to enter. And these are the people, you know, the ones that everybody looks up to. And the disciples are like, well, who then can be saved? And they have this discussion, you know, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then Peter has this idea. Well, this guy wouldn't leave his life to follow Jesus, but we did. The thing that Jesus didn't get from this guy, we've all given him. You know, they left their nets and went to follow Jesus. Matthew's sitting at the tax collector's booth. He just gets up, quits his job, and goes with Jesus. They've done that. They've left their lives. So Peter asks him about that. We pick it up then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. 
Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's saying, you, you might think you're not that important compared to the rich young man who got to keep his position and all of his stuff, but you're going to be very important people. Now, Judas is one of these 12. Interesting thought. I wonder how that all worked out. I'm thinking he was replaced by either Matthias from the book of Acts or perhaps even Paul. I don't know, but we'll find out later. But I don't think Judas is still in the group there. Verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So Peter says, we've left everything. He says, if you've left houses, 100 times as much. You've left relationships, you get 100 times as much. You've left fields, business opportunities, 100 times as much. And eternal life. That's pretty good. And then Jesus says something else. Verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So Peter asks Jesus, we've left everything. What's there for us? And Jesus gives many promises. You're going to sit on a throne. You're going to be a a people of authority. You're going to receive a hundredfold return and everlasting life. And then the caveat at the end. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. So the disciples, they were in on the ground floor, right? I mean, they were the first to follow Jesus. So he's saying to the 12, you're first, but you'll be last. And there are others who will be last, and they'll be first. So there's this odd caveat at the end. And this is what the parable of the workers in the vineyard is meant to explain. This verse, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first, is explained through the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let's take a look at that. Next verse is Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So a denarius was a normal day's wage. So for us, maybe it's a hundred bucks, you know, a normal day's wage. He agrees to pay him the going rate. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So the way they measured hours was by hours of daylight. So the first hour is when the sun comes up, the third hour, so that's like six in the morning. The third hour is going to be like nine o'clock, you know, so these are hours of daylight, 12 hours of daylight from six to six. Those are your 12 hours. And so early in the morning would be six o'clock. The third hour would be nine o'clock. He sees people standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So these are guys are going to get three fourths of a day in. You know, it was 12-hour days, and they're only going to work nine. Next verse. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. So he goes into the marketplace at noon, hires people, sends them to work in the vineyard. He goes out to the marketplace at three in the afternoon, hires people, and sends them to work in the vineyard. Verse 6. 
About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. So this is 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He goes out and sees more people standing there. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. Do you want a job? (laughs) Tell you what, the Lord has a job for you to do. He's hiring. He finds these people that have been there for 11 hours all day. They haven't done anything. He asks them why, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So he's like, go and get the guys who've only worked for an hour and you pay them first in front of everyone else and we'll see what they do. So this is kind of a setup, you know, he specifically wants the ones who've only worked an hour to get paid first and for everyone else to see. Then what happens? Verse 9, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So they got a full day's wage for working only one hour. They got the full 12 hours pay for one hour of work. Verse 10, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. So the ones who'd been working 12 hours got the same pay as the ones who worked only one hour. Verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You've made them equal with us. They wanted to be more important. They wanted to get paid more. They wanted to be valued more. And they're like, hey, you've made them just as important as us. Not only did you pay them the same, but you've made them equal with us. And they're upset. Verse 13. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So the most common interpretation of this, which is extremely true, so let's drive this point home before we get to, I think, the primary interpretation. The common interpretation is, it is not too late for you. You can turn to God right now. It doesn't matter how much of your life you've lived away from God. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Today is your day, and you can come in and serve the Lord now, and you will receive the same inheritance as everybody else. You are equal. There are no second-class citizens in heaven. You are made equal with everyone else. You can come in now, no matter how long it's been. It's not too late. I want to tell you a story About years ago, I was pastoring somewhere else. You know, pastoring is a very interesting job. You get called on to do a lot of different things. And I got a call from the hospital, and they said, we've got a guy here that he should die, but he just won't die. So would you come and help us out? I'm like, "Uh, okay. They're like, we're not sure what to do. It's been two days. He needs to die. And I'm like, all right. So, I mean, you just show up and see what happens. So I, I showed up. I asked about who he was, and I actually knew relatives of his. I'm like, oh, this guy, this was a bad guy. This was a mean guy. This was a stubborn, hard, difficult man, and he did not walk with God. 
And I'm thinking, this guy is so stubborn and tough and mean that he can see where he's going and he just ain't going. <laughs> I think this has got to be the scenario. So I go and I grab his hand and I'm like, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. Nothing. No response at all. So I just got down in his ear and I yelled the basic plan of salvation in his ear. And I said, you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness because, man, I know who you are. And you need to ask him for forgiveness. <laughs> but the good news is he'll forgive you. And he's going to rescue you from this situation. And then when you see Jesus, you just go with him. And I, I tell him this thing. And I stopped and I stood up. And he just went, and died. I look at the nurse's aide, she looks at me, and we're like, okay. But you just don't know what the day is going to bring, right? And I mean, 11th hour, if what appears to have happened there actually did happen, then that man will be someone I'll get to see again, and I'll be like, dude, you know, and that's going to be awesome, you know? But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how long you've been separated from God. He'll have you. He will have you. That's not, I don't think, the primary thing we're supposed to gain from this. This is written to the 12, not to the masses who are away from God. Now, the the interpretation of the parable that you never, ever want to have is this. Well, hey, if you'll take people on the 11th hour, i got lots of time. I don't need to bother with God till way farther in my life. That is the wrong interpretation of this parable. Because everyone who got hired went to work. There wasn't the person who said, nope, forget it, I ain't going, and then later on went. We will read something about that at the end of the sermon. But this is about when you find God, today is your day. Not tomorrow is your day. Today is your day. Today is your day to choose to follow Christ. So wherever you are, today is your day. Don't think that tomorrow you'll have your day. Take that today. But here, we need to look at the primary interpretation. The last will be first and the first will be last. He's talking to the 12. He's talking to the insiders. He's talking to the first hour people, not the 11th hour people. And so what is he saying to the first hour people? I got three lessons that we need to learn from the parable of the workers in the vineyard for those who are already walking with God. Number one. Don't let entitlement creep in. Well, I was here when we built this church. Well, I I tell you, that's my pew, and if there's people want to sit in it, they're going to hear something about it. Don't let entitlement creep in. Don't think that you're somehow more important because you've been here a long time. You know, this was being told to the twelve. Okay, you're a first hour one. They're the ones who grumbled against the, the person who was paying out the full wage to everyone else. What? I've been here for 12 hours working all day. Don't get a sense of entitlement where, oh, I've been here a long time. I'm more important. I should have things that other people don't have. You know, we've got a saying here that I probably should say more often, and that is this. The closer you are to Jesus, the farther away you park. So there is no pastor parking spot by the front. Now, if if I'm still pastoring here and I'm 90 years old and I can hardly walk, then maybe we'll have a pastor parking spot, you know? But now I can walk, so I park back there. And we have all, you know, the ministry teams all park back there. Because guess what? We're here to serve, 
not to be served. So the, the closer you are to Jesus, the farther away you park. We need to not have a sense of entitlement of, oh yeah, I've been here, I've paid my dues, now it's time for me to get what I deserve. No, we'd stay with the servant's heart the whole time. Later on in this chapter of Matthew chapter 20, James and John went to Jesus with their mom and had their mom ask Jesus, hey, can one of my boys sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom? And the, the other disciples found out that James and John were trying to sneak in in front of them, and they got in this big fight. So Jesus had to call a special staff meeting and try to straighten it all out. And so here's the staff meeting in Matthew chapter 20, starting verse 25. So we're just jumping a few verses down. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So you know in the natural world, if you're a person of power, you can push other people around. You can be the big shot. So he's saying, and then verse 26, Not so with you. You don't want to go be the big shot. You don't want to be the one that pushes everybody around. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So here, Jesus isn't saying don't be great. He's redefining greatness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is one who is a servant, is one who helps others, is one who prefers others, is one who lifts other people up, not someone who squashes other people, pushes other people around and tries to be the big shot. Verse 28. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, did not come here to have people fawn at him. He came here to serve others. He came here to give his life for others. And we, when we follow Christ, we do the same thing. We serve others. We use our life to serve others. Don't get a sense of entitlement. You maybe have been a first-hour person. I consider myself to be a third-hour person. I got saved when I was 19. took me a while to figure out what was going on. But I'm not an 11th-hour person. I'm more of a third-hour. Man, it would have been nice to be a first-hour person. Then I wouldn't have had to spend so many years trying to figure out what in the world was going on. But, uh, you know, third-hour is not that bad. But I could get a sense of entitlement. Oh, yeah, like Pastor Celia was talking about, it takes 70 volunteers. That's a minimum of 70. We could use 100, you know, because I want four prayer teams on every service. I, you know, two is okay, but four would be much better. Let's have more prayer. We need greeters. We need, anyway, we could use lots more. But our first year average was 70 attendance. That's how many volunteers we need to make it work now. Yeah, hallelujah for that. I mean, that's cool. I was here back when there was... Well, who cares? Today is the day you need to serve the Lord. It doesn't matter. You don't get any entitlement for that. You know, I don't get to tell you, oh, I paid my dues and now you got to... No, everybody, let's just serve the Lord together today as servants of God. No sense of entitlement. The second lesson that we learn from the parable of the workers in the vineyard is that we need to rejoice in the grace of God for them. Amen? It's like the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. Rejoice when God's grace comes in for someone who doesn't deserve it. Yeah, okay, you've been sweating and working hard. You've been in the nursery for 18 years and you just can't stand it anymore. And then somebody just that's been blowing off their service to God just comes and gets saved and you're like, oh, great. 
We'll get the same reward, you know, like, uh, no, we need to rejoice in the grace of God for them. We need to share the heart of God, just like the angels rejoice in heaven when the lost sheep is found. So we need to rejoice. We need to share the heart of God and avoid older brother syndrome from the prodigal son story where the father hugged the younger son and kissed him and gave him a ring and a robe and threw a party. The father's heart for the prodigal son was beautiful, but the older brother's heart was not. And so we need to share the Father's heart and not get to that place where we have the older brother's heart, the one who's been working hard in the fields so long thinking, I can't believe I have to do this alone. Those rotten people won't even help. And then they show up and you're like, oh, now you come. You know, that yucky thing we need to just get rid of and share the Father's heart for those who come in, and we need to make room for them. We need to make space for them. That's the last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay, someone comes in on the 11th hour, make some space. Yeah, you've been here since the first hour, great, scooch over. Make room. Share the Father's heart for those who come. Your job is to make room, not hinder them in any way. So don't let entitlement creep in. Keep a servant's heart. Rejoice in the grace of God for them. Avoid older brother syndrome. And then the third thing is this. It's very important. Trust that God is not withholding any good thing from you. Trust that God is not withholding any good thing from you. Your best life is a life of working in the vineyard from the first hour. That's your best life. That's your best option. That's your most fulfilling, most valuable, best place to be. It's in the vineyard from the first hour in the heat of the day getting the work done. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's reread Matthew, 10, I'm sorry, Matthew 19, 29, and then we'll read the same basic account from Mark. It says it a little stronger. So we read this earlier. What happens to those who have served the Lord, who have given up everything? Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The same thing from Mark chapter 10, starting verse 29. And everyone, I'm sorry, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. All right, let's go back to that verse 30. So, in this present age, so this is not in heaven, it's in cloquet. You get a hundred times everything that you've left in this life. Is that actually true? <laughs> we know we're supposed to say yes, but the head may not nod exactly straight. You know? Because have you ever thought, boy, if I go all in with Jesus, I'm going to miss out on some stuff. If I go all in with Jesus, I'm going to miss out. That fear of missing out. Now, all my friends are having fun. I go serve the Lord and I lose my friends because they want to do stuff they shouldn't be doing and now they don't want to do anything with me anymore. 
got family problems because they all see things different than me. I'm not making as much money as my friends because I won't lie. Fear of missing out. Let me tell you, you should fear missing out on the things of God for your life. You should fear missing out on living the life of walking with God, being effective in the kingdom of God, helping shine light in the darkness. You should fear missing out on that because that life is awesome and it's way better than the things that you give up. Now, you do have to give some things up, but the promise is that you'll get way more. And I asked God about this because, you know, I've read that a few times and I thought, you know, because I'm a practical guy. Like, really? A hundred mothers? How does that even work? And do I even want a hundred mothers? <laughs> you know, like, it just maybe one is enough. You know, like, that's a lot. I, how does that work? A hundred homes? A hundred fields? How does, that, how does that work? And so I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord about this, and just in my heart, not an audible voice, but just in my heart, it was, how many homes are you welcome in? How many brothers and sisters do you have? How many older people are mentors to you? How many fathers and mothers have you picked up along the way? And I was looking at that. I'm thinking, I think I've done better than a hundredfold. I think I've got way more, way more relationships than I left, way more places that I'm welcome than what I left. Now, it wasn't like that on the first week. You know, it, it took some time of being part of the body of Christ and engaging and participating and building those relationships. But now I'm welcome in so many different places. I mean, if all of a sudden I find myself on the street, would somebody bring me in? You know, hallelujah. I'm welcome places. That's this hundredfold return. It's not that I get a hundred title deeds for houses, but I'm welcome in a hundred homes. And so this is real. We actually do get a hundredfold. I mean, technically exactly a hundred. Let's not go there. But way more, way more than what we give up. But we do have to engage in living the life and be part of the family of God, be part of the community, or we're not going to gain those things because we're sitting at home by ourselves. So we have to participate in order to receive these good things from God. But don't fear missing out on the things of the world. You know, there are things that, you know, you want to do, and you know God doesn't want you to do them, but give those things up, and God will give you something better. God will give you something better. Don't fear missing out on foolish things. Fear missing out on the good things of God. Now, again, I, I told you, I, I came in on the third hour. I feel like I'm a third hour person. I regret missing out on learning about God when I was a kid. I regret missing out on being able to understand the things of God as a teenager. Because then when I got saved, I was 19. It took me 10 years to figure out what in the world was going on. You know, because the death of Christ on the cross didn't make sense to me. You know, all these things. I, I was, it took me a long time to learn. Because, you know, I'm, I'm on the outside. What in the world does some mob lynching a guy have anything to do with me going to heaven? You know, it didn't make any sense. And I couldn't, it just took a long time. So I, I missed out on a lot of things. And I didn't have the jump start that I could have had in the things of God. The first hour is the best place to be. Serving God in His kingdom, in His vineyard, from the first day you know how to do it, is the best life you can live. All the things of this world fade away. All right. What about the people who say no? I said earlier that 
that this parable of the workers in the vineyard is just talking about people who get hired. There is no example of someone who the third hour said, yeah, forget it, but the 11th hour said, yes, I'm in. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21, so the very next chapter after the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and let's read this. Very, very important. Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. So Jesus is speaking to the fancy religious people. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. So this is the one who says to God, no, I'm not going with you. Later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. So to the son that that said, yes, I'll go work in the vineyard, but then he doesn't go. So he said the right thing, but he didn't follow it up. He didn't walk the walk. Verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, that's John the Baptist, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So the people who were not walking with God, who were rejecting the ways of God, who were living very contrary to the Ten Commandments, then they saw John the Baptist, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And they're like, yes, I think I will. And they decided to go with God. And yet the fancy religious people were like, I don't know about this John guy. And they didn't enter in. So it doesn't matter even if you've refused God in the past. If you've said, no, I don't want anything to do with the cross. I don't want anything to do with God. I'm, I, I don't want that. You can still change your mind and come to Christ and you'll be accepted in. What an incredible, amazing blessing that is. But here's the deal. Just talking the talk does not get the job done. It has to be real. You know, you can fool people, but you can't fool God. You can put a good show on the outside, but God sees the inside. And in fact, if you've ever wondered why Jesus got in so much trouble, read Matthew chapter 23. This is a public address where he's just, he's just dressing down the religious culture. I mean, he is taking them on and he is not holding back. And the whole chapter is a whole bunch of things that he's got against the, the religious culture of the day. And here's just a little bit of it. Matthew 23, 25 through 28 says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So the outside looks pretty, but the inside is a mess. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's pretty straightforward. But the point is, yes, you can come in in the 11th hour. Yes, you can have rejected God and you can come in, but you actually have to on the inside. You can't fake it. You can fake it with people. You can't fake it with God. You've got to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. And you've got to accept forgiveness and trust in that forgiveness. And then you've got to walk with God. You've got to go. You've got to follow Him. And then you're in. Your best life 
is when you serve the Lord now. Whatever, if it's third hour, if it's sixth hour, if it's ninth hour, if it's eleventh hour, your best life is saying yes to the Lord right now. Don't put that off. Don't wait. This rich young man, the rich young ruler who chose his stuff, his wealth over following God. What if he got saved in the eleventh hour? We don't know who he is. His name isn't even written down. We have no idea who he was. He's nameless. If he got saved in the eleventh hour... He would have missed out on walking with Jesus. He would have missed out on the teachings of Jesus. He would have missed out on the resurrection of Jesus. He would have missed out on the upper room and uh, and the day of Pentecost. He would have missed out on the birth of the church. He would have missed out on all of those things. And who knows what he could have done. Maybe he got saved at the 11th hour. I don't know. He never comes up again. But he would have missed out. Don't let that be you. Grab hold of the things of God. Choose to follow Christ now. And if you've been following Christ for a long time, don't let entitlement creep in. Stay a servant. Always rejoice for the others and give room for them to come in. And really honestly trust that God is not withholding any good thing from you. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that your plan for those who have failed, your plan for those who have sinned, your plan for those who have refused and walked away from you is to continue to give us opportunities while we live in this life to come to you and that you pay the price for our failures. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you shed your blood that we could be forgiven. Let us believe in the completeness of your forgiveness. We may not be perfect, but we can be perfectly forgiven. And Lord, we thank you that you subjected your body to be beaten for our healing, that by your stripes we are healed. Lord, you heal our hearts, you heal our minds, you heal our emotions, and you can heal us physically. Lord, thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for your plan to make us complete, to make us mature, to make us whole. What a great plan, and what a great sacrifice that that plan could work. We fix our eyes on you, We thank you and we honor you and we worship you for what you've done. Lord, I just pray that your peace would be upon us, that any storms in our life would be on the outside, but on the inside our hearts would be calm and full of faith in you, trusting in you. Lord, help us to have joy as we realize that we're not missing out on the things of this world. We are grabbing hold of the greater things, the better things, the hundredfold type of things, the things of your kingdom and the things of everlasting life. So fill us with joy as we walk in that. And Lord, do help us to see how much you love us. We should never be insecure. We should never have a bad self-image because, Lord, we need to see ourselves through your eyes and know how much you care. And be filled up with your love that we can be confident and secure and whole and able to share love with others who are difficult to deal with because they're still in the middle of the pain. So Lord, help us to share your love with this hurting world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.